At Kelly Companies, it is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Keelians get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the Who Do You Know campaign. The goal was simple. Keelians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends, by visiting them online at keelycompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. You're either with me or you're against me. This is very common language that we hear in the world of media and social media these days. And yet somewhere in between those opposite ends is this great, vast middle where most of us live. And today we're going to be exploring that middle with a friend of mine. Her name is Ash Beckham. Ash is an equality advocate. She's on a journey toward creating a world of inclusion where everyone's voice is heard and valued. And here's the key piece. Even when our perspective may differ from theirs, even when they may look and act and work and worship and vote, even vote, I know, differently than you do. Today, Ash is going to share stories of her own transformation from a place of isolation and anger to one of greater openness and connection and ultimately impact, reminding us of the importance of having empathy and humility and authenticity and curiosity for one another. During this conversation, Ash guides us to continue building a world where everyone feels as if they belong. That's one that I think you and I ought to be trying and striving to live in together. Whether your path involves cause-oriented work or simply cultivating a positive voice in your workplace, your home, your community, or even the reflection staring back at you in the mirror, this conversation is a reminder that in the tapestry of humanity, each thread is unique, and yet each one also contributes to the beauty of the whole. So without further ado, I'm going to encourage you right now to open wide your mind and your heart. You may need that today during this conversation. As I bring on my friend and soon to be yours, her name is Ash Beckham. Ash, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Uh, John, so excited to be here. So when you bump into someone in the grocery store who feels like they've seen you before, or heard your voice, or you look familiar, what, what do you do? How do you respond to that these days? Ash, what do you do? That's a, an interesting thing, I think. It depends on the, the moment of the day, right? Usually I've got a couple of kids hanging on me, something like that. <laughs> Trying to be a better parent, especially locally. A lot of people have seen me in the TEDx world here in town, and, and I help with some of the speakers there. So I think that that's part of it. I would say it's waned a bit, but it still surprises me. I still get that. Wait a second, I know you, right? And I, it's so funny that I, I used to go, oh, I did this TED Talk, or I did this, or maybe, you know, you know, you do those connections, and somebody, and I've done that a few times, and then I finally get, oh, you're Luke's mom. I'm like, ah, 
took me a while to embrace that and, and not really go the route of, no, but I am so much more. I love that role in my life, but also that's not all I am, right? Totally. I, I love how, how vague the answer was because it gives us like fertile fields to walk into. I'm called the speaker and all these other job titles. My favorite title, I came into a, our school one time and all the kids looked at me, they pointed at me and then they said, it's Patrick's dad. And I'm like, oh, that yeah. is an awesome job title, Patrick's dad. So that's Luke, it. Um, it's like instant legitimacy, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. You hope that that, I mean, I like try to be a pretty fun mom. So I think that carries some decent weight. I have no doubt when I hit the teen years that maybe that won't land the same way. But at this point, at this age, it, I think it lands pretty well. Well, at this age is when you pour the foundation for for yeah. what you will need uh, in the teenage yeah. years to come. So you mentioned the TED Talk, and I think that's a great place to begin. That's where you and I first met. You didn't see sure. me, but I saw you, and I was just enamored by this talk that you gave almost 10 years ago. And it apparently wasn't just given in Boulder because there's more than 6 million views on this now. I'm not sure when you've looked last, but I'm not the only one who knows you. Boulder is not the only one who knows you. It's it's all over the place. Before we get into that talk, it takes a lot of courage to give a TED Talk. What was it about the message you had that you knew you wanted to share on such a big, broad stage? Yeah, it was interesting. Like you, it was, a, it was kind of an accident to get into speaking, right? I, it wasn't what I thought I would do. I was. We had an event in Boulder called Ignite Boulder, uh, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's five minutes, exactly 15 seconds, a slides auto advance. Uh, enlighten us, but make it quick. And, <laughs> and I don't know you, but for me, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, like I have enough of a growth mindset that I will listen to anyone talk about anything they're passionate about for five minutes, right? And to do it in a live setting is really cool. And so I went to that in Boulder and there was this guy that talked about his struggles with weight loss. And A, nobody talks about that. B, men never talk about that, right? But this right. guy was so real and so authentic and you laughed and you were with him and you just like, the, the emotions that he put inside of me, that was what I wanted to do. Mm. I wanted to connect and share a story with some weight and some lightness in a way that connected with people. And I knew it wasn't gonna, it couldn't really be about me, but maybe my human experience. And so that was the first one. And then after that, I kind of got a, a bite of it. And it was a time in my life where the, I was open to creative pursuits. I had done everything I could to not get a real job for the longest time. And so I was hustling between my parents were both entrepreneurs. And so I had project after project and rushed back from working an event to pick up shifts at a restaurant to be able to, to make rent. So I was just in this hustle mentality and finally, had enough of those puzzle pieces that fit together that I was living something that didn't feel as rushed. So I had this opening for kind of this creative pursuit that I really wanted to do. And, and so that was the first one. And then the TED Talk was next and seemed like the next big hurdle. And they do a double blind um, selection process. So it wasn't because of the first one. And I knew that that was something, the way that that one resonated, it was, you know, using the word gay in a negative way and the after effects that that has. And, and to be able to connect with people on topics that are seemingly taboo, yeah. but also just human mm. and that they can be funny and there is levity and you can laugh at yourself and you can laugh at me. That to me is, is the easiest way to try to make that change and to make people feel that they can be part of the process as opposed to this kind of like top down, here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Like that yeah. isn't what it is because that's not what life is. So then that led to the Ted talk was there and that one got like you said, got some traction. And then all of a sudden I was invited to give keynotes and that was far out of my wheelhouse. But I think when you have something where you're connecting an audience in a certain way and you see that impact, you you just keep riding the wave. So that's what, it's, that's what I've been doing. 
the talk, I believe, was titled Coming Out of Your Closet. Mm -hmm. Talk about the, the title. What did that mean for the audience? What does it mean for you? To me, it is, we all have similarities, right? We see ourselves as so different. It's how we see the world, right? Our first very innate animalistic instinct is to assess if something is something we should fear or something that is safe, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if we see it as similar to us, we deem it as safe. And if we see it as different than us, then we see it as a threat, right? That is just kind of how we operate it. But we are evolved from there, right? And so we have to take that second to have that rationality of like, well, what is that difference? Is it really that different? You know, aren't we, are we more similar? Do we care about the same things? Do, do things, do our feelings hit in the same way? Do we fear telling someone something about us that they didn't know that might change their opinion of us or maybe end a friendship? Like that is, those are some heavy questions and it doesn't just have to be about being gay. Although that is kind of the frame of what the closet is, but to me, knowing, having that pit in your stomach feeling of going up to somebody that you have a relationship with and knowing that speaking your truth and your honesty could potentially put that relationship in jeopardy, that is a human feeling. Mm. Like that's just what it is. And so how do we connect on, on that level, the severity of it, the social impact of it? systemized oppression, like all of those things. Sure. Yeah. Like I will get there, but if we can't connect on the fact that it is relatable, my experience is in some way relatable to you, we're never going to get to those harder things if we can't see if we're similar first. So that's what it was to me is like, we're all hiding something. If we can be brave enough to come out, we, you see that you recognize that in other people and it creates an environment, whether that's in your family, in your community, at your job, at your place of worship, wherever it is, that it's safe to do that, that you can do that and land on your feet, right? You you mentioned, and, and again, I'm not looking at word for word the talk, but you'll remember it better than I. You mentioned that your closet was rainbow colored, but when the door yeah. is shut, it's dark. And then yeah. you started going off on all these tangents of what other closets might look like, bankruptcy, T telling others, and I'm bankrupt, telling others, that I've got cancer, telling your five-year-old that you're getting a divorce. All of these are closets that you're coming out of, and all of them are extraordinarily hard to be in. Kind of walk us down that path for a moment. Yeah, that human condition of losing attachment, fear of losing attachment because you're honest, breaking up with somebody. I was the worst breaker-upper in the history of breaker-uppers. I had no integrity. I would like take the easy way out, right? Because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But being true to yourself is so much more important, right? I would do the, like, have somebody get so mad at me that I would want them to break up with me knowing that it was me. I mean, it was like the most manipulative, crazy stuff in the world because I wasn't brave enough to just say what was true to me as honestly and as delicately as possible, but being true in that way. Like I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings in the same way that you don't want people to think differently of you, right? You don't want them to think less of you because you've made some fi bad financial decisions or because you've cheated on them. Like that's not an easy conversation to have, but at the same time, we have to have the integrity to have that conversation because not having it, A, is, is disrupts our health, is negative for us, and then also is just negative in the world. So I think that you know, what we relate to is that feeling of, oh my God, I need to, I need to tell them and I really don't want to because it threatens everything that I hold dear and I still need to say it, mm. right? So that, I mean, doesn't matter what the walls look like when you're inside, right? It's dark, it's isolating, it's scary. 
it's fearful. There's a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-judgment, like all of those things. Those like what you're telling is less important than relating on the act of going through the process of deciding to actually do it. You also wrote that stop comparing hard. It's just hard. And I feel like that one feels a little bit loaded sometimes, sure, because if I think if you're going to look at um, varying forms of oppression, there are some ways that our differences have manifested in more outside struggles for certain historically marginalized communities. So mm. I am not downplaying that there's a difference there, right? So that feels a little bit like a, a, a minefield sometimes when you talk about it. But again, this is, we don't do this instead of looking at history. We do this relation building in what it's hard for you is hard for me. And you know what it's like to do something hard. And I know what it's like to do something hard. So I don't know what is hard for you. So I trust that if you tell me it's hard, I know what's hard for me. And we relate on, again, that somatic feeling of what it's like. If we can build that trust, then we can get into those more difficult conversations, right? But the first thing is you and I build in a relationship that I'm not going to say, oh, John's worst struggle would be my best day. That doesn't do anything for us. That doesn't get us anywhere in building relationship, right? And I think in the work that you do and in the work that I do, we're trying to bring people together despite the hard, not separate them out because of the right. hard, right? Like I think that you need to create safe spaces, but the more we can create empathy between people, the bigger those safe spaces can be. And to me, the key in that is to have that ally that can have that conversation in the place that I'm never gonna have it, right? To have that straight white, ally that's going to be in the men's locker room at the golf club when somebody uses the word gay in a pejorative way who can stand up and say what do you mean by that what are you trying to say that's everything to me that's mm -hmm. how we change the world not, I'm, I'm never going to be in that space so how do we empower allies to understand our human experience enough to be able to stand in that space and see me someone they used to see as so different as an us instead of a them that's the magic to me so you're talking about what needs to happen. Now now tell me how we begin moving toward that. How, how do you begin empowering those friends to become allies yeah, to or to make a difference with and for you? And, and this is not just on one issue. It's on all issues. Sure. Right. And I think that that's such a great point to start off with is that just because I consider myself part of a historically marginalized groups so the LGBTQ plus community, A, doesn't make me an ally and B doesn't absolve me for being allies for any other marginalized group, right? Like allyship is action. I have to do the work. So whether that's my BIPOC friends, whether that's my rural friends that feel underrepresented in their local government, whether that's wherever anybody is on the school board discussion, like wherever we are, right? Allyship is not because of how I define, it's in my action. So I have a responsibility to act not just for my community, right? But for all communities that I think need to be represented. And that is not a left, right issue. That is just people that are underrepresented. So I think we start having real conversations. We start having honest conversations. And I think it's starting with curiosity. I can't want someone to know how my unique human experience results in me wanting a certain kind of action taken, right? Or a certain kind of policy written without also being curious 
about how someone else's interactions and life experience leads them to think the same thing. It can't be a one-way street. There's no way. If I'm not, if I'm trying to work in that way, I can either surround myself with people that agree with me, which kind of what's the point of that? Like, I think you need that for support for sure. But like, we're trying to make change. You're trying to change the way things are happening. You actually have to change the way you do things. So I have to be open to the why for the other person as well. So I live in Longmont. It was several years ago, and there was a, a motion for the city council for it to be a sanctuary city. And I went, and both sides were really well represented. And I listened, and when you listened, they actually weren't that far apart. Both sides loved the city and wanted to protect the safety and the integrity of the people that lived in the city. What that looked like, their means of getting there was different. But what they both wanted was the same thing. And to hear respectful political discourse, I think, really bridged a gap to eventually change some policies because these people actually weren't that far apart. And that idea of finding common ground by sharing our stories and listening to other stories, I think, is how we start having that conversation. Not with the idea of changing anybody's mind, right, but genuine curiosity that somebody who is on the other side isn't all of the negative attributes, right? Dumb, privileged, uneducated, any of those things. Is this in your DNA to be inquisitive and curious and really trying to empathetically meet others where they are? Or has it been more of along the journey you've recognized ultimately the only way to move things forward is to pay attention to the, the people with different opinions than your own? I think it's been an evolution. I think of my parents and they were both loved life and and we were lucky enough to see different places and travel and kind of have our eyes open. But I feel like at least when I came out, I was just militant. Like I was any second glance, any question someone would give me, I kind of demanded respect without being willing to dive into it, I guess, and have that be mutual. And so I would get in public confrontations with people just as a means of standing up for myself, which at that point was authentic to me, it felt, because there was like a courage that came from that, of feeling that kind of repression and that weight and really wanted to jump on people about it. But then that just like not who I am. I'm just like not a conflictual person. But like, what do you want? You just get the bigger picture, right? Like, what do you want from that interaction? Is it a legitimate threat and it's a stranger you're never going to see again? Or is it your uncle that you see at every gathering who's like that uncle who always has that offensive thing that you're going to have to have a relationship with forever? Like you have to figure out what your end game is in that interaction and is sometimes having a reaction better than being reactive, right? Are we like, what do we want from it? We are so incredibly impactful. And in those situations, the only thing we can really control is how we respond. So who do we want to be? Who do we want our kids to see it as? Who do we want bystanders to see it as? Like, who do we want to be? And some of those situations require a stronger response. And some of them require a gentler response, but how do we navigate that? So I think I learned like, what impact do I want to have? Help me understand that. that. When, when is it appropriate to take a stand and when is it appropriate to let it go? It is exhausting to constantly be on the lookout for the slight or the microaggression that you think is happening. Like that is just to go through the world that way is so exhausting. 
And it's a lot of pressure. Again, why allies are so important. Because you have other people that can step in, then you don't have to be on guard all the time. So who you're interacting with and, and the value of that relationship to you is super important. So that's one thing to think about. I think there's also a way, Amber Hikes, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she is another speaker and she framed it really well. There's a difference between calling people out and calling people in. So calling people in is that like bringing you in kind of arm around your shoulder after say it's a work meeting, right? And somebody says something that was not inclusive or could have been a slight to somebody that was there, right? Do you kind of like bring them aside and afterwards, it's almost like the spinach, you have spinach in your teeth kind of thing where you're like, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but this is what you said. And this is how it could make people feel. And, and I know that you want to be part of creating a more inclusive team. And I just, I thought you would want to know, right? Or is it somebody says something that's blatantly misogynistic or racist or homophobic in the middle of the meeting and you as a member of the team need to lay down the line and say, we do not, that's not how we talk here, right? Like those are different things. You know, in your gut when you need to say it and when you don't, there's no wrong way to do it. There's just a more constructive way to do it. I err towards the calling in because the more allies, the better, the more, you know, cause there's an ignorance to the lack of knowledge. Like I can't expect you person on my team who has not lived my experience to know what that's like. But if I tell you what that feels like, it's off of me. You can decide how you want to be right. So that's part of it is the, do you want to have that second, third conversation? Do you want to be seen as a resource? Cause when you do the arm around, Hey, this is hard. I know I get it. I had that same thing. Like then that person is going to come back to you and ask you the questions. Like we have to see the power that we have to be resources. Not that we know everything, not that we're the experts that we're on the journey, but I've been there before I get it. Come ask me a question next time. Mm. Right? Like that idea I think is so much more inclusive because if we're preaching inclusivity and belonging, right? That means everybody. If we have a baseline of, of respect and willingness to learn, then everybody's got a seat at the table. We can't be inclusive by being exclusive. Well, let's right? talk about that for a moment, because as we become more inclusive, as we throw around words like belonging and acceptance, the reality is the nation seems to be moving opposite in directions and becoming even more polarized in opinions. So as we talk more about it, why does it seem like the very thing we're longing for is being pushed farther away from us? Well, I think because it's hard. Like it's easier to not be challenged. It's easier to have somebody tell you you're right. That's easier. And I think the frame of it so often is political. And obviously that makes huge impacts on the life that we live every day. But I think if we have this grassroots localized version of real conversations where it isn't somebody that's your enemy that's on one side of the political spectrum, but it's your doctor or the person that runs the grocery store or what, or the librarian, right? There are these conversations that we can have where we are willing to engage and give people the benefit of the doubt, right? It's the best possible intention that they have, right? We frame it in a way that what they want or what they said was with the best possible intentions, but how do we dive in and, and ask a, a little bit more? And I think we don't want to be polarized by that. Like I am so much more multidimensional than a singular issue that polarizes me, right? Like I don't think we want to be pulled apart. I think if we look at the bell curve, 
the vast majority of us realistically exist in the middle still. It's that winning elections are on the tail ends on both sides, right? But like we live here and we're more complicated than one of those singular things. So I think that's where those conversations start to happen. We start to dive in and honestly get curious of like, why do you actually, why do you think that? There's a reason that people think what they think. And if I know why, then maybe I can understand them a little bit better. And that's my goal really, is just to understand them a little bit better. Not, I'm not trying to unify the country. <laughs> I'm not trying to even unify my school district. I just want to know why you think what you're thinking. And then we can have a deeper conversation because I'll tell you why I, th I think what I think. And then finding that middle ground becomes a lot easier because I know what's driving you and you know what's driving me. We've all seen the videos. Many of us have probably been in the room when the room itself blows up and it gets so hot yeah. as my opinion is trying to shout down your opinion. Help, help me understand whether it's around the dinner table or the boardroom sure. or the airport, wherever we find ourselves in these conversations to just lower the temperature a little bit and try to take in the information from the others rather than shouting at your own. How do you do that in real time? First of all, if we're having a conversation and and the person on the other side is yelling and screaming, that's not a conversation. So I'm going to like opt out of that. But if it starts to get heated, I know that they're not going to change my opinion. I'm open and curious to know why maybe I think about it slightly differently that pulls me towards a middle ground. But I have enough belief and understanding in my beliefs, not that it's right. It's just my beliefs. Like we're so worried about being right or changing somebody's mind. But again, that's not going to get us to that middle ground. So I think lowering the temperature is just being curious, not to their arguments, but why do they think that? And I want to know how you got there. I always think of it as like a tree, right? If we're on opposite branches on the farthest end of the bud that is furthest from the trunk, we're, we're not, we don't get back there. But if we start building our relationship in the things that we care about together in that center part, it's a lot easier to have this conversation because we know our common origin, right? And also there's going to be people that you just never agree with and that's okay. But I just don't want to live in a place where I'm so angry or dismissive mm. of a different perspective that I'm not even willing to hear it. Again, if it, you know, I have like, my bar is respect and it can't be hateful. Those are kind of like my two things. And so if we're not there, we're just not going to talk and that's fine. I'm fine with that. But if we have those things, it would be so hard for me, no matter what, to, to think that I would just dismiss another human because I don't agree with them and I'm not willing to learn. Like mm. I, that's just not, that's just not, that's just not me. And that's not who I want to be. There's yeah. certainly times that I have done that, but I, that's not the person I want to be. And as I try to emulate for my kids, what that openness looks like, it's not like just open to the way that I see it. Right. It's, it's open to all of it. You've written and spoken about du duality being the solution. And that's sort of complicated and complex until you break it down into a sim simple little story. And I think one of the stories you shared that I really liked was around uh, a lady you worked with. And she was so many things that you weren't. She grew up in Mexico. You grew up in Ohio and, and all these various difference in backgrounds. 
And yet you're having this meal together before you start your, your, your job. And then her young nephew walks in. W would you share why you think duality is the solution? And then quickly that story. Yeah, absolutely. Mary Bell is her name. And she was just one of the strongest, most loving women. Like she just held everything in love. So we, we sat there and we were having our shift meal and we had been friends for years and I didn't speak great Spanish, like enough to get by. And, but I, I knew how many kids she had and I knew when her birthday was, we, we knew some very basic things about each other, but we had a mutual respect right in that way that I didn't expect her to clear every dish at the table. Like she didn't work for me. We worked with each other and it all worked better when we worked together. And so I think that was a huge piece of it was having a level of respect of knowing that woman worked just as hard, if not harder than I did. We were having a conversation and we were talking about what we were doing afterwards. And, and I was going out with my girlfriend at the time and she conveyed to her nephew that it was a girlfriend and he was really taken aback that I was in a same-sex relationship. He said it must've been a boyfriend and she was a very maternal woman, but also held a lot of power in the family dynamics that existed. And so when he questioned it, she looked at him, she said, she's going with her Novia. And he said, so girlfriend, he said, Novia, no, you mean Novio, boyfriend. And she said, no, Novia. And he knew that was the end of the conversation. So even though it was getting sensitive and there was a language barrier, it didn't take a genius to discern what was happening. And she very firmly put her foot down of what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And whether it was a conversation later with them, I'll never know, but it was a level of respect that was instant. And so she could hold her cultural heritage, her religious beliefs, all of the things in one hand and hold our friendship in another hand. And that was not conflictual for her because she was rooted in who she was and our relationship also meant something. And she could do both of those things and showed him that she could. It was just a moment and they moved on to, and it was never done, but it changed forever. It I saw in her a potential conflict that she didn't see as conflict. Hmm. You also wrote that uh, you also saw them visiting and laughing and hugging later on in that day, meaning it wasn't like it led to the bridge being burned and those two never spoke again. You know, how dare oh, yeah. you speak to my friend like this? It, it led yeah. to a, a healthy conversation, a correction, and then progression of friendship. Yeah. And you just moved on. She was the gatekeeper on both sides, right? Like that was her, her job was to be like, no, 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 he's, he's fine. Like that was to me. She wasn't going to be mad at him forever, right? It's still her nephew. That's their relationship. It's absolutely fine. I need to be fine with him. Give him a break. Really, it was that message went both ways. And for her to him, like also this relationship continues. We can move forward and we can hold both of those things. We don't have to draw lines of who we can and can't be friends with because it because they're not like us or they don't line up with what we thought to be the right thing. I'm going to ask you about a couple of quotes that I wrote down from your book. Here comes okay. one. If you want someone to be real with you, they need to know you bleed too. I think vulnerability is pretty important. And for me, that's just a huge piece in leadership. I don't want to follow a leader who's perfect because it's impossible. I don't learn best from my successes. I learn who I am from my failures. And that's what so much of those TED Talks are, right? Is that I'm rarely the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. I'm usually the goat, right? showing those imperfections and then what you did about it to be a leader and own mistakes 
or share a time that you made a mistake in what you did about it afterwards builds so much more relatability with your team, your staff, your organization than only highlighting your successes. Let other people do that. That's validation, which is fine, but give me the real stuff. Because then as somebody who is in the org chart below them, like then I know I don't have to hide my mistakes. I know I can push my limits and have a failure because if you're not failing, fail forward and fail fast, right? Like if you're not moving in that direction, but if I am working in an environment where failure is never shown or acknowledged, then I'm gonna think I can't do it. Showing those mistakes, showing that vulnerability, showing that we can be fearful and resilient at the same time. That some of those skills that we would, to be honest about our feelings of there's, let's say we're about to go into a merger. And as the leader, I'm concerned about how that's going to shake out. I'm worried about what that's going to mean for my employees and their responsibility. And are people going to have to relocate? And also we are strong enough to get through it. But to not acknowledge that that fear exists is hiding a very significant part of your experience from your team. Another quote, and I wrote down five. I'm only giving you two, though. The the second quote we'll go through is, don't start with policy or politics. Start with human connection. When we we talk about, you know, everything gets so heated and the the temperature gets cranked up, like that happens to me when, A, we don't have a mutual respect for each other, or we don't care if we burn it all down. My dad and I would get into heated conversations because we were both passionate, opinionated people. But we would rarely lose our temper with each other because it was just never worth burning it down. I was never going to lose my dad over an argument. It was just like you get to an agree to disagree, but that's because you have this kind of baseline of respect. But you think of these like super combustible conversations that are happening. Those are not people with relationships. So again, I think you start with human connection. Like what makes us similar? What makes you tick? What do you do when you're not at work? What makes you happy? What's your favorite thing that you did this past year? Let's start there. If you if we're sitting on different spots on a board or on a decision making body, like let's let's get to know each other as humans, because I think there's some trust there. And I think that was the thing with my parents. This was in like the '90s. Me coming out is going to be hard for you, and it changes. You've been you were raised a certain religion, and you think it's wrong, and like okay, I get that. I'm here for that. But like we have to work towards having a relationship, and I will walk away from our family before I will not be true to who I am now that I've figured this out. And that's not a threat. Like, that's just how important this is to me. There was a lot of screaming at each other through this. So I don't think necessarily it's the, it's not the height or the volume of the conversation. It's what do you do after tempers flare? Is there repair? Talk about that. I know it wasn't what you signed up for today, but I think it's a place where all of us are. So all of us have a broken relationship. Yeah. And you and your family would have had a mighty struggle back in the 90s when this happened. Sure. How do you work on that repair? I think you just keep talking. There's a lot of slam doors, but we always talk through the doors and we always went back to the things that we cared about. And I had moved out to Colorado. And so a lot of these would happen like over breaks. So I would go home and I would only be home for a week. And you can also just put it on a shelf. Like, especially this, like the holidays, I think are such a loaded time that it's okay to not talk about it. Right. It's okay to just have a conversation. It's okay to, to apologize 
afterwards for losing your temper with no expectation the other person is going to apologize. Like you are staying true to your integrity, which is I miss the way this relationship used to be. Mm. Right? Like that was the biggest thing that was the scariest thing for me when I came out to them was coming out of that closet was this was going to change everything. Like we had this little family and it was like going along and everybody was doing they were supposed to do. And they had two kids and we had both gone to college and, you know, my sister met this guy and she was engaged and like, da, 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 da. and like, this was going to throw the whole thing upside down. And I was the one that was doing, it. I was the one that was breaking it. Right. And that was the scariest part of it is like to be the person that destroys the thing. So I think that it's the repair afterwards. It's acknowledging that you don't understand. It's like a, a, a wanting to learn more. It's a mm. desire to educate yourself on, even if you can't have a conversation with the person, educate yourself about the other side of the story. Read did the you, articles, do the things. Did you make amends with your family? Oh yeah, it was great. I mean, it took a while. It took a while. There's a whole process for them and how they saw themselves as parents after. I had to honor that journey, right? For all the time it took me to go through the process of actually admitting it to myself. They have to go through that too. You have to like give them a second to catch up. Give them a second. Hmm. What would you say to someone who feels as if they've shut a door in a closet and they are in there and they're isolated and they're by themselves and they're holding that grenade and they don't know what to do next? You're okay. It's going to be okay. I think that's the first one. It is not as lonely as you think. Ash, we have seven questions as uh, we move toward the conclusion of every conversation that guide and gather all of our guests together as one. They're called the Live Inspired Seven. I think you're capable of walking through these seven questions with me. So qu question number one is what's been the most impactful book you've ever read? The most impactful book I ever read, I would say, is Catcher in the Rye. I did not like to read. I was not a kid that liked to read. And that kind of internal, that like Holden Caulfield crisis, what I was like, that I was there for that. I like loved that book. It just felt like it hit. Um, and it made me realize that there were books out there that I could relate to. They just weren't the ones on the reading list. Mm. What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a kid growing up in Toledo, Ohio, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Being less self-conscious. I just was like a kid that didn't care what people thought. And I wish I could go through life with that kind of unabashed joy hmm. without second guessing optics as much it would make life feel lighter. If your home caught fire and all living things are out, your kids are out safely and the animals are out safely, you have an opportunity of running in and grabbing one item, one thing that matters. What's the one thing you come running back outside with? Well, I want to say my laptop, but that feels like a, it doesn't feel like in line. Um, I'm going to say this watch. It was a watch that my dad wore when we ran our event business together and he passed away a few years ago. So that would, that'd be it. I would go get that in a second. Thank you. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous Colorado day with anybody living or deceased, who would you like to be seated next to? Oh, my dad. I would want him back again, just for a day. Yeah. What's the best advice dad or anyone else ever gave you? Oh, I mean, it's like kind of cliche, but you know, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. What's the best advice? Uh, what, what advice would you give yourself at age 20? 
it's going to be fine. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out. And I would say, don't judge yourself by the traditional track. Like, don't judge your success by how close you stay on track, but how much you love your life. I love it. And it leads us to the, the seventh final question. You ran the gauntlet. It has been said, Ash, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? I would take some time to edit this before I actually like chiseled it, but I would say <laughs> she lived life fully and loved the people in it with her full heart. Mm. Lived life fully, loved people in it with her full heart. That's a pretty good tombstone nice. motto. You don't need to check like it a second time. That works. Do it once and be done. Yeah, there we go. Ash Beckham, I want to thank you for spending your time with us today, for sharing your heart with our community and for believing like we do that the foundation is firm and that the best is yet to come. Absolutely, John. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. It's you almost you almost got me, you almost brought me to tears. That doesn't happen very often. So I appreciate being on the journey with you. That's been a blast. My friends, that is Ash Becca. My name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. My friends, as we head into the Christmas holidays filled with family gatherings, I wanted to resurface a quote Ash Beckham shared with us. Here it is. Don't start with policy or politics. Start with human connection. Meet others where they are first. I hope that very simple and yet extraordinarily powerful quote reminds us of the ability to bring the heat down in any tension-fueled conversation that may occur around your gathering this holiday season and beyond. Meet others first from where they are. Love them at the well of their experience. Watch what happens afterwards. And with that, I can't believe that this wraps up our 2023 podcast year. We've shared 52 Monday morning moments with you and 50 thought leaders including Martin Luther King III, incredible conversation, Oklahoma City bombing survivor Amy Downs, incredible conversation, New York Times bestselling author and pastor Craig Rochelle, incredible conversation. Should I continue? Well, to celebrate this year in review, I've created a playlist specifically for you. It's the 2023 Most Listened to List for you to enjoy before we boldly step into 2024, go ahead, check it out. I know you're going to love it. You can find that playlist and those impactful episodes at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. I'm going to share that with you one more time because this is where we gathered not only all of our friends, but the friends of ours who had the most impactful voices with us this year and in previous years. You can learn more about them and ultimately what it means for your journey by visiting me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast family. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode and previous ones. I want to thank you for knowing what I know, which is this. The foundation is firm. Your life has value. The headwind is real. And yet the best is yet to come. So with that being said, for this time and until next time, I wish you and yours and your family and your community a very Merry Christmas, a happy holiday season, 
and the promise of a phenomenal new year. Looking forward to seeing you and being back with you in 2024. You know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come. In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at keeleycompanies.com.